Hi. Little different this week. I am helping someone who's a colleague of mine, Dr. Nima Romani, who's starting a podcast called the Manxiety Podcast, which is anxiety with an M in front of it. The Manxiety Podcast. So, what causes anxiety in men? So, we recorded an episode about trauma bonds, trauma relationships, and I'm going to put it on my podcast. And hopefully, if you like it, you can follow him, follow him along. It will be called the Manxiety Podcast. I will likely be a regular guest on that podcast. And I think looking at mental health in men is such a critical topic that we're both passionate about it. And I'd like to give him a bit of a boost up. So here's the very first episode of the Manxiety Podcast. What is up, Dr. Russell Kennedy? Hey, what's going on, man? We are talking about trauma bonds. And I got to admit, I got to admit, when I first met you, um, I was involved in a trauma bond. Yes, And I didn't know what that was. And it was thanks to you and our friendship that I was able to unravel. And now my mess is my message. Now you're Russ, flopping, what's, man. What's a now trauma bond from a, from a neuroscience perspective? Like, how would you yeah. describe a trauma bond? Yeah, this is, this is funny because, you know, we're, we're mind, body, and spirit. Not to go too woo on, on you right off the bat. Here, right off the bat. Let's go, let's go right off the, the bat. The trauma woo. bond is one of those things that it's hard. It's really hard to define these things neuroscientifically. I can tell you about the sympathetic nervous system and the fawning reaction and all that, which you're a great expert on. But mm-hmm. it's, really, it's really about what was your model for relationships when you were a child? Mm-hmm. And how are you recapitulating that model in your adult life? Like when I go yeah. to your air overview thing and you said, <laughs> same person, different haircut, right? Like we get into mm-hmm. the same relationship over mm-hmm. and over again. So, you know, how do you define trauma bonds? I, I, I well, throw it back to you. That, that's a really great question because when I was trying to unpack my last um, relationship and just figure out what the fuck happened. I, I, I uncovered this word. And whenever you hear it uh, in, you know, popular in social media nowadays, it's very black and white. You know, the yeah. psycholo- in psychological terminology, mm-hmm. they talk about an abuser is abusing the victim and then the victim is making excuses and, they, and they're going through all of these cycles of abuse and one person's the villain and the other person's the, um, the, the, the good guy, yeah. the other person's the bad guy. And it's very black and polarized. white. And what very I discovered, yeah. say that again. It's very polarized. It's very polarized. And what I discovered is that there is a nuance to it. And a trauma bond to me is any co-dysregulating relationship a relationship that is based on co-dysregulation, that's a replication, an unconscious urge to complete what was incomplete from childhood. Yeah. And I was reading something yesterday about how adolescents, you know, have this contagion, especially females and eating disorders. So it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but eating disorders in dorms spread like, like viruses. Because it's, wow. it is it is kind of a, it's a replication of something and we so badly want to connect. And that's basically where trauma bonds come from. It's just, we get a different view of what 
is healthy and what is connected. Like one of the things that I say in my book is that, you know, when you grow up in a dysfunctional environment, the word familiar, because we, we focus towards the familiar, can be broken up into two words, family and liar, because your family lies to you about what a normal relationship should be. And then you unconsciously replicate that yeah. in your adulthood and you don't see yeah. it. You know, that's the thing. And that's yeah. why it comes down to the like, same person, different haircut. When we go to your overview and you talk about this stuff, it's yeah. so poignant. It's unconscious. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. And, and it's on the way that, and the way that it looks, uh, when I was really looking into this, it's this, it's highly volatile. There's a push and pull dynamic to it. It's a come close to me. Oh my gosh, I need my space. And it's, it, you know, what, what'll end up happening is, you know, the one side's highly polarized that you meet somebody and it's like, it begins with pedestalization and love bombing. Oh my God, you're the greatest thing is extremely, um, uh, highly charged, yeah. sexualized. It's like love at first sight. And then what'll happen is that love bombing honeymoon stage is filled with dopamine and fantasy. And then there's a trigger that happens. There's some sort of, a, a, a conflict, a, an activation from childhood that comes up that sends one of the two into a alarm, your word, and mm -hmm. fear of engulfment or fear of abandonment kind of fear of engulfment, which is fear of being consumed kicks in or fear of abandonment. Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose you kicks in. And then that love bombing, there's an abrupt transition from love bombing to devaluing what was once pedestalized, you're the greatest in the world to you're not what I thought you were. And, and there's a push away. I'm out of here, discard. And this, this really deep, painful wound of fear of abandonment that comes up that slowly then over time cycles back to the love bombing, then the devaluing, then the discarding and the trauma bond is happens from the abrupt transition from love bombing to devaluing. And what I think the abrupt transition comes from is in the first six to 12 weeks, there's a whack, a whole whack of oxytocin when you get, oh, into yeah. your, you know, the, oh, this, you want to spend every moment with them. You're phoning them, you're texting them 15 times a day. You know, there is this huge rush of oxytocin when it comes up and it's very seductive because when you have that, that oxytocin dopamine kind of cocktail that goes in your system, nothing mm. else really matters at that point. That's right. So, and then, but what happens, I believe, is at six to 12 weeks, that oxytocin, that kind of drug falls away. And then your background attachment strategy comes yes. up to the forefront. So if you're an, uh, yeah. an avoidant attachment, you'll be like, this is way too much for me. I'm getting, I'm getting mm -hmm. engulfed. Or if here. you're an anxious attachment, it's like, I'm a, now I'm, I'm so attached to this person that I'm a fear of abandonment. And then when that yeah. drug, that oxytocin cocktail drops down in our system, we come back down to kind of a baseline state. Reality kicks in. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's when, that's when the cycle really, I mean, yeah. the cycle begins with the oxytocin, with the, with the love bombing and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a, a necessary step that creates mm -hmm. this sort of angst in someone. It's like, then they start questioning, am I getting too close to this person? Is this person yeah. getting too close to me? And then that's when all the stuff starts to really kick in. The, the co-dysregulation the co, uh, actually was happening from the get-go because of the fantasy. And so the, the question that I have, I, I'd like, you know, I'm kind of taking this in a really interesting direction because I love teaching about this stuff. 
what, where do our, this, where does this fantasy come from, Russ? Dr. Russ, <laughs> excuse yeah, well, me, you know, Dr. Uh, Russ. <laughs> I thought it was typical, summers in Rangoon. Yeah. Where does the fantasy come from? Where does the fantasy come from? Because that's where it all begins. I think we're all hardwired for connection. And when we, when our connection, when we're younger, is kind of bastardized in a way. Like when we're, when we're too attached to a parent in an unhealthy way, like when we're uh, fawning over a parent, when we're looking after a parent, that becomes a program that gets fixed in our psyches and our, and our neuro, neurology. And we will want to reproduce that program. There's a tremendous desire. There's a tremendous hmm. flash of, of neurohormones, neurotransmitters. When we see the vestiges of what we used to have or perceived that we had. Or we, we didn't wanted. have, or we always wanted. Yeah, but I think I, almost, on a, um, almost on an evolutionary basis, there is this, mm. this compulsion that we have to connect to other people. We have this social engagement system, you know, eye contact, tone of voice, prosody of voice, body language, facial expression. We have this thing in our system that is so tuned to connection that we want it. And mm-hmm. I think in a way, the more traumatic the childhood, the more seductive the desire to, to replicate it. Yeah. What I've observed in my uh, kind of uh, when I'm working with our, with our uh, participants is fantasy is what was created in childhood as a form of kind of self-regulation. So when we had, as you're describing, this childhood where we have this complete disconnection from family, from love, and we're feeling so alone, it's almost like the childlike part of us escapes into fantasy as a form of self-regulation. And then it gets reinforced by all these freaking Disney movies and yeah. uh, romance novels and what we expect. And a, and a woman expects this knight in shining armor to come in and just completely rescue her and cherish her devotionally. And a man, uh, you know, fantasizes about this beautiful kind of feminine, um, I'm talking, you know, heteronormative you complete, uh, you fantasies here. Me. You, complete you complete me. me. Yeah, we have, we have, uh, you complete <laughs> mini me, you complete me. We have Jerry Maguire and all these movies that are, that are all this, this experience of one day in order for me to uh, cope with this really challenging environment around me, I got to escape up into my mind and come up with these fantasies, these mm-hmm. kind of experiences to help me regulate. And then unconsciously we go into these relationships and we look at these people, not for the reality of who they are, but we snapshot them as this character. And it's not with them that, that, that we're in a relationship with. We're in a relationship with the fantasy. This is what came up uh, in my family uh, trial last year, uh, which was really like relevant. And when as, as I was, you know, in the kind of completion of breaking free from my trauma bond, we went to family court. As I was listening to her testimony, I was like, holy crap, she wasn't in a relationship with me. I wasn't in a relationship with her. We were both in a relationship with a fantasy. And that comes from the pain of our childhood, as you were describing. That's why people stay in those relationships too. Because Mm -hmm. there is, there always is, you know, you don't know him like I do, you know. Yeah. 
when he's like yeah. this, he's great. Mm-hmm. So there is this this selective, this sort of natural selection to use that term of mm-hmm. looking towards the positive parts mm-hmm. of each each of us in the trauma bond. And to be clear, you know, there's trauma bonds in in everyday relationships too. Like yeah, it's not it's like, not like just one or the other. All abuse. You know, yeah. I think we all friendships have, can happen. Yes, absolutely. And I think once we have a relationship, there's elements of trauma in that because I don't think there mm-hmm. is a childhood without trauma. It just mm-hmm. happens. Now, if you have a, a, an attached, attuned parent, they can help metabolize that for you. But if you don't have that and you're younger, I think that you're kind of destined to act out those trauma bonds mm-hmm. over and over and over again until you become aware of them. And I think that's one of the yeah. things that you teach is like, how do you become aware? So maybe we should talk a little bit about that. So how do you know that you're in a trauma bond? That's a great question. Um, you and I started in a trauma bond. Yeah. My friendship with you. I mean, think about it. It's a bonding through trauma. It's we are commiserating through challenging times and most relation co-ruminating. And and think about it. It's like when you go on the dating sites. I remember when I was dating, I don't remember I don't know if you can remember uh, you know, in the dating world where you're you're meeting somebody and they're telling you about a horrible ex, my narcissistic oh. ex, or oh, you know, it's my narcissistic ex, my borderline ex. Oh, let me tell you about so and so. Trauma bonds start usually with two people in a really difficult space rescuing one another. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I remember when I remember during our. Uh, friendship kind of break where you and I took a friendship break. I had to look and go, holy shit, Russ and I are in a trauma bond. And so that the, the rupture and then the repair process was how we turned it from trauma bond to actually like a secure relationship just within the two of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I trauma think, bonding to yeah. me, just, 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 let me, let, okay. I just want to finish this one thought and I want to give yeah. that one. And also we can trauma bond like when you go to the hairstylist and you're just bitching about life. Do you know what I mean? Or with your girlfriends or with your guy friends that you're complaining about the misses, you're trauma bonding. This is like binding through trauma and commiserating. And it's amazing after I really looked at how many of my relationships were literally just connecting through trauma rather than gratitude and upliftment. Yeah. And so I don't know what you think about that though. Yeah. I mean, I think on, you know, sometimes online dating and dating in general, it's kind of like a job application. So when you're on a (laughs) date with someone and they're bitching and complaining about their ex, you kind of, there's that rescuer quality that we have. Like, oh, yes. you know, I will rescue her from this pleaser, people act. pleaser. And you don't really reckon, you don't really realize that you're going to be the next on the chopping block. So you're the I, next villain in their story. Exactly. I used to have this when, uh, when people would come in uh, and want to be my patient as, as a mm. physician, you know, I do that initial sort of interview with them. And, and I would say, so, you know, what happened with your last doctor? Oh, he was a jerk. He didn't do this. He didn't answer my phone calls. He didn't. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, clearly, <laughs> clearly this is not someone that I want to take on right now. Yeah. If I, if, if I grew up with a codependent mother and that kind of stuff, I may be drawn to taking in those kind of patients mm. because it's, it's just a replication. And yes. often what I'll say, my little joke is that, you know, when you get into this trauma bond, what you believe is your soulmate will actually become your cellmate. Exactly. Because what gets you in it, it initially 
trauma bonds usually begin with a rescuing operation. So if both of you are rescuing each other, what happens is you start to unwittingly enter the drama triangle because the person hasn't integrated from their past. They've replicated it. They're carrying these wounds and unconsciously your wounds are pulling them in and their, their wounds are pulling you in. And now you get to derive your validation by rescuing this other person. It's, it doesn't come often from a place of like fullness. It comes from a place of, um, unworthiness and And so what, and which is familiar. What happened when you were a child? Exactly. It's a role. So you take on this role and what'll happen is you'll start to rescue. And at first with the dopamine, you start to feel validated. Wow. For men, usually sexual validation. She's giving me sex exactly as I want, whenever I want. She doesn't say no, totally open, huge sexual validation. The woman is getting love bombed, is getting, you know, you're the best, you're the greatest, is getting pedestalized, which really helps answer the unworthy, pathetic, uh, not good enough parts of her that didn't feel seen as a child. It's essentially the they take on these role of narcissist and codependent and they strike a deal. They say, I'm going to be your mother, the mother that, that never, that you never had. And in exchange, you're going to be my mother. And so you unconsciously strike a deal of, I'm going to be the representation of unconditional love that you didn't have. And you're going to do the same for me. And that's not sustainable. Is it Russ? (laughs) No. I mean, eventually it hits the wall and because it's coming from this fractured place, you know, I, this, this whole thing about, you know, hormones and neurotransmitters and all that kind of stuff. It just, it just makes you more of what you already are typically, you mm-hmm. know, testosterone, all this stuff. There is this, this data that testosterone doesn't actually make you aggressive. If you're aggressive to start with, it actually makes you more aggressive. Absolutely. But if you're kind of, you know, kind of generally, uh, level and set testosterone really doesn't aggravate your aggression so what it happens is is that these relationships that are are fraught in the they're they're sold in the past that are just sitting in the past trauma eventually will recapitulate that trauma and recapitulate the angst that came along with those that trauma and then there is the resentment of the other person for Mm -hmm. i thought i mean maybe they won't say this uh consciously but i thought you were going to rescue me i thought you were going to be different than all the rest of them you're actually causing me more pain and it's your fault it didn't work you didn't you didn't fulfill the obligation that I've unconsciously set up for you, which is to be the answer to all the pain from my past. And because you didn't, you're just like the rest of them. You're, you know, you know, I'm out, I'm out. And so what I discovered, the big breakthrough that I had in my whole journey through going from trauma bond to finally breaking free and now having a secure relationship where we're co-regulating one another, we're actually each other's presence brings us into safety rather than each other's presence causes us this, yeah. this angst from one another. Well, here's what I discovered is there's an unconscious desire for our childlike parts of us to want to individuate from mommy and daddy. And if we don't do that as individuals consciously, we're going to 
partner with somebody who activates that part of us that's just like mom or just like dad. And we're going to try unconsciously to cast them out of our lives to try to divorce ourselves. In other words, we're, we're using our partners to divorce ourselves from mommy and daddy. And if we don't, if, and, and we get rid of them, but we didn't do the work to divorce ourselves from mommy and daddy, the next relationship, it's the same, same damn thing. thing. Yeah, same thing. So here's something that I've heard you say. It's like, you didn't pick the wrong person. They're just the perfect match for your wounding. 100%. And what, what shifted it for me was to actually start to reframe relationships. And so now we really, sorry, acknowledging yes, your story. Yeah. hundred percent. We, so it's like, all right, so trauma bonds, they're happening. They're more, more, more common than we think they are. It's what causes a lot of anxiety in men. They don't even realize it. It, they, it, it looks like codependency. It looks like uh, push pull. It looks like avoidance, anxious dance, never ending conflicts, arguments that keep happening. Um, dissociative rage. So what do we do if we don't first and foremost, number one, acknowledge our side of the story, just put, just take, stop pointing the finger at the other person and just really start getting into your body and acknowledging all of the pain, all of the wounding, like embodied and just acknowledging the pain that we're going through. Um, that's hard though. Like it's hard. We don't want to, we don't want to go there. Of course not. We want to, we want to point the, the, the biggest blind spot is that we want to point fingers at the other person and obsess over their behavior and look online and see, you know, try to diagnose and label them so that we don't deal with the shame and the, and the grief that we're going through and the embarrassment and the toxic shame. And that's the first part of healing this, isn't it? Yeah. You can't change anything you, you can't see or refuse to see. So I see a lot of people starting, you know, coming in, blaming their partner. And it's, it's a lot of it is projection. A lot of it is like, you don't like what you see in the other person because you have it yourself, which is kind of a, you know, kind of an armchair psychology thing. But a lot of it is, is true. But there are things where, you know, we're feeling this isn't right for me. Like you get into this thing after the oxytocin kind of comes down, you know, the average relationship lasts between six and 12 weeks because the oxytocin pulse lasts about six to 12 weeks. So when, when these, this drug essentially this oxytocin mm -hmm. fades away, you're back into that same place before where you're disillusioned, you're, you're recapitulating your past. And I think there's something existential in that when you, do the same thing over and over again, and it causes you pain. I think that's how addictions start. I think it's mm. like, well, I don't see any other way but getting involved with someone who is angry or someone who's depressed yeah. or someone who's anxious. I don't who, see any other way around that. Who's an addict. Who's an yeah. addict. So yeah. I don't see any a way around that. So the only way I can do that and stay in this relationship is to use drugs, use alcohol, mm. you know, um, you know adrenaline junkie, numb your dissociate. Yeah. And that's where I, I believe addiction start is that yeah. it's, it's a way, it's a way of, of staying in a relationship with yourself as well. Mm. That's uncomfortable. 
So rather than dealing with the underlying thing, which is what we're saying, rather than having the awareness of going back and going, okay, this is the pain that I went through when I was a child. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to go through that. So I would much rather, you know, insert addiction here, you know, I'll focus on the other partner's behavior. And that's an addiction too. That's an addiction too. If you look at the neurology of that, Mm. when you, when you start gossiping, when you start pushing something onto somebody else, there is a temporary uh, cortisol rush. There's there's a, an adrenaline rush. There's a dopamine mm. rush in our system that alleviates that pain that we feel ourselves. So this mm. is why I think what's happening in the states is that they're not really interested in in governing. They're just interested in in insulting the other side because there's this there's the this politics. tiny addictive little charge that we get mm. when we start pointing the finger at somebody else. But it yeah. doesn't last. It's an it's yeah. another addiction. Right. So the bottom line is, is seeing what your wounding was and can you come into a compassionate connection with that younger version of you that was, Mm. you know, abused, neglected, lost, abandoned, matured too early, rejected, bullied, whatever it was. This is where it all comes from. You nailed it. Um, You know, as I'm guiding people to go from trauma bond to secure love and all the steps and the path that 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 it takes. I think the number one thing is to help people. I, I, I've, I keep repeating this in my, in my trainings with my community is 90% of this work is dissolving fantasy, mm-hmm. is dissolving the fantasy of what you thought relationships should be, the fantasy of what you think that, you know, a, a healthy relationship actually is. Because if we have this addiction to the dopamine, which is where fantasy really is all about, yeah. then we don't. No, we, we, we're with a secure partner who's healthy, who doesn't have all of this drama and, and they're not, they don't need us to rescue them as men. And then we go in there and we're like, uh, this, this, this doesn't seem well, right. I'm faced this with my is, own issue. I'm faced with my own issues. When the, when you can't look and yeah. someone else, you have to, you know, you have to come face to face. I've had, I've had men say, okay, so after they've done the work, you know, they've been doing the work with us and they go, okay, so now I'm dating again and I'm dating this really great girl. Uh, but she doesn't need me. And I feel odd not having to rescue her. And this guy was like totally trauma bond with, with his mother who he was responsible for emotionally. And so he would replicate that with women. And then as he's done his healing work and is individuated with mom, he meets a woman and she's not like completely psychotically jealous and needy and all of this. And he's like, okay, is this even love? Like what's we, and, and so the question is, you know, why am I not able to be comfortable in a relationship with somebody that's actually going to be healthy for us both. And the answer is we have this unresolved pattern in our system, in our somatic system, in our nervous system that's wired that chaos equals love and security is boredom. Right. (laughs) And that's such a, that's such a huge thing, especially for men. I mean, I'm sure it's true for women too. That was me. charge. Oh yeah, me too. When I was younger. Absolutely. So, so there is that, you know, when you're in a relationship and there's no charge, you know, it's like, well, this, you know, I, I've, I was drunk on the charge for a yes. long time. You I know, call like, that unconscious polarity. Yeah. And, and, and my relationship with Cynthia, you know, like we've been together 11 years now and it's kind of like, it didn't have that. So early on, I'm like, you know, is this right for me? Is this like, 
because there, there wasn't, I mean, of course I'm, I'm not anxious all the time all around this person. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was, it was unfamiliar to, mm. to not have that kind of weird <laughs> seductive charge, you know, like yeah. I, I'm certainly attracted to her and all that kind of thing, but there wasn't that. And it felt like, you know, is this real? Is this, is, is yes. this where I should be going? And it's yes. like, there was part of me that's like, yes, this is exactly, exactly. exactly. Where you should be going. Yeah. So practically, the, the, what, what do you do with, with, with men? I cut you well, off there, but I just want to ask no, you, not at all. what do you do with men? Like if a man's <laughs> listening to this right now, it's yeah. like, should I stay? Should I go? Whatever it is. Like, what are the practical steps that Good you want to invest to them? Yeah. So the first thing that I would say when I'm you know, and this is helpful. This reminds me of a, a, an amazing, beautiful gentleman named Ryan that I worked with who lives in Tassie, Tasmania. Uh, he's now married and he, he's now found his partner and they have a baby. And when I first met him, he hadn't um, dated for four years because of the trauma from his previous relationship. He stopped seeing women and he was like frozen. So he had anxiety in, in, in relationships. And he did, he only had fantasy. It was all trauma bond. It was basically fantasy. It had to be in love. It had to be fireworks. I said, dude, first thing, instead of looking for fireworks, look for a warm cup of oatmeal. <laughs> instead, a warm Sounds cup boring. of oatmeal. Sounds, Sounds boring, boring to, to us dopamine junkies. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. that's yeah. what a secure relationship feels like. There isn't anxiety. There isn't this uh, abandonment anxiety that's up there. There isn't or crazy or engulfment. There's just, yeah. there's this, this experience of safety with the partner and then kind of safety and separation. And there's no anxiety in, in the approximation or leaving that, that your system doesn't get bombarded with, with such activation and fear when this primal panic is happening. That's a good sign, although it might freak you out. And so the first thing that I would say, um, uh, to, to help people, you know, along that path is that number one, wherever you are in your, should I stay or go situation, it's never about what it's about and begin to try to see the partner as woo as this sounds as a reflection. They are a mirror. They're ignoring, they're ignoring me. Who's ignoring you? Oh, I'm ignoring myself. They're being so rude to me. Okay. That's fair. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not making abuse or, um, mistreatment. Okay. But if you're safe and you can, you're in that space and you're safe, can you pause for a moment and go, all right, where am I disrespecting myself? Where am I being rude to myself? Where am I abandoning myself? Where am I begin in this process of unwinding from the trauma bond? One of the first things I tell people is begin to start to see them as reflecting you. If they're not giving you space, who's not giving you space? you're not giving yourself some space. <laughs> you're not asking for some space. You're not setting your boundaries. You know, if they're rejecting you, who's rejecting you? Oh, I'm rejecting myself. Start to look at the other person as a reflection, as a mirror. This really challenges people right away, but this is a very good kind of beginning. I mean, this is going to take a while. It's like a recovery of an addiction, but right. that's a good place to begin. Where would you go from there? Well, yeah, I think it is an addiction. I think the, the the fantasy is an addiction, you know, almost by definition, addictions are fantasies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're an escape and it's just like, can I, can I start putting out some energy 
into the world where I'm not looking for my mother. I'm not looking for, you know, the love that I never got from my dad, the validation, whatever. You know, Freud has this concept of, of repetition compulsion, basically what was normal for you in childhood. And that's what I, I suggest to people. It's like, what was normal for you in childhood? Did you have to look after your mother? Did, was your dad abusive? Like, and how do you, how did you feel at that time with those things? And how are you replicating that same mm -hmm. feeling in all your relationships? And just really, you know, because unless you can become aware of it, unless you, my little catchphrase is unless you see it, you're destined to be it, right? Mm -hmm. And then we just keep doing it over and over again. So I think that is the first step. Yeah. And men typically aren't really all that crazy about becoming aware. No, no just not, not to use a stereotype, but it's true. And I think, yeah. I think men, I think we're kind of, um, men are kind of being downtrodden these days. And it's one of those things where I think we will start coming together now because we are, you know, in a way, an endangered species, you know, the <laughs> sort of the, the, the masculine man, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of takes control of things and solves problems and that kind of stuff. Hey, yeah. Now, <clears throat> Loving it's command. Now. It's mansplaining now. Like yeah. everything is getting peace. Everything you know, is toxic. Taken away. And, mm. you know, it's pretty hard. You know, and I'm yeah. not thinking, oh, poor man, poor men. But, yeah. you know, it is one of those things where it's half the population. And, you know, we have a higher suicide rate. We have all this, all this We're struggling. Trauma. Yeah, all this trauma. And how, how are we going to, you know, how is someone else going to fix me? It's like, no one's going to fix you, yeah. but you have to start with awareness. Now, a coach yeah. helps because, mm. you know, the thing is we have blind spots. We don't see our own, you know, I had one guy who uh, was beaten by his dad from the time he was seven till he was about 12. And, uh, and then he would say to me, it's like, well, you know, but my dad made me strong though. Like that's not abuse like that. My dad made me strong. Mm. It's amazing how we go through these traumatic things as child, as children. And, and, and we then we just explain them. it. We, well, yeah. we had to explain it to ourselves at eight years old or whatever. Mm. Like, well, this is how it is. This is how, and we explain it so often that we lose the ability to see it. And I think yeah. it's just that that's why a coach will help you kind of say, okay, where, where are your trauma patterns? You know, yeah. fill out your attachment thing. You know, how, wh what's my attachment style? How do yeah. I replicate this over and over in a relationship? And how can I see myself going into it so that I know <laughs> that yeah. I can turn, I can take the exit before I go right down into, yeah. into scary town. That is a good place to begin. That's why I'll uh, leave a link uh, for the, your attachment style, just so that you can know and then get some information on how you do relationships. Awareness is the first step because we don't, uh, we're not consciously aware of these things. We get into relationships fantasy-based that this person's gonna then solve all of my insecurities for me and then it doesn't work. And then we get a wake-up call. And Carl Jung says that there is no coming into consciousness without pain. And most men, uh, unfortunately, we wait for a rock bottom. We wait for the divorce. We, we wait for going through taken to the cleaners or uh, at, through the divorce courts or a health crisis wakes okay. us up. And so there's usually a wake up call that guides us into consciousness work, which is all about really healing and merging and integrating, bringing home and bringing into integrity and truth, this character that we've created just to be accepted. 
just to be loved. And that separation from our authentic selves is what stops us from being able to have these authentic relationships. And when they blow up and fall apart, it kind of forces us to look. And so that's what the goal of this this podcast is and this this kind of information that Russ and I, you and I are going to be putting out there is to help people on the path to feeling safe in relationships and feeling safe in their bodies. And yeah. um, awareness well, we, is that first step. Yeah. When we talked in Phoenix together, you know, we, we had this platform where I talked about anxiety within yourself and you talked mm-hmm. about anxiety with other people. And I think mm-hmm. it was a nice, it was a, a nice way of, of pulling everything together because your relationship with other people can be no better than your relationship with yourself. But it's really, you know, just picking apart the pieces and just being willing, uh, especially as a male to kind of say, Hey, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm in my twenties. Maybe I, 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 I'm proactive. I want to, I want to give myself the best chance of getting a relationship with someone that isn't going to be the same thing over and over again. I want to do this in my twenties as opposed to waiting till you're, you know, in your forties with your second divorce going, you know, my relationships aren't working. You know, can you, can you be proactive? Because men in general want to be proactive. We want to solve issues, but if you don't know that there's an issue there and you're just automatically by the default mode Mm -hmm. network in your brain falling into the same pattern over and over and over again, first, you've got to see it and be brave enough to see it and be courageous enough to take some action on it and say, okay, I want to move forward with this. Join a men's group, find getting help, getting some sort of help to find something. Yeah. Don't just don't just bumble through life on your own because men have this idea that they can handle everything on their own mm-hmm. and you can't. Like you yeah. can't do it. We're not meant to do it alone. Yeah. No. And that's the key is uh we aren't meant to do it alone, but no one can do it for us. And there is a place, you know, when you're feeling this angst, angst within your relationships and you're recognizing, oh shit, you know, I'm in these trauma bonded situations, this push-pull dynamic, and I I'm successful in, 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 in other fields. I just don't, yeah, maybe monetarily, but yeah. you don't have richness within, um, your relationships. Can you really have true success? And this is what I had to realize. So if you're kind of stuck in that push pull dynamic, should I stay or go, um, not feeling safe in your, in your body and kind of operating from this fantasy, maybe someone's going to be there and you're just waiting for that person or, you know, you're, you're in this volat- volatile situation or you're actually just completely numb and dissociated. Yeah. Just know that it's not your fault. You haven't yet learned. Uh, it wasn't part of our training, was it, Russ, to learn how to become trigger proof, to learn how to work with these activations in our body and create that safety and then create and communicate in a way that 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 has another person feel seen and heard but you can learn and it's totally possible and you can feel that safety again. I'm living proof of it. So are you, if two knuckleheads like us can do it, well then, you know, yeah. And I think anyone can, it's just the commitment to yourself. It really is like, it's a commitment to yourself. It's a commitment to move away from the alcohol, move away from the porn, move away from, from all these distractions that allow you to just eke your way through life because Hmm. you know, you're 50 then. And you're like, what, what did I do? I lived in my head. I lived in my addictions. I didn't really live in the feeling aspect of my body and my relationships for all this time. And I feel like I wasted my life. And I hear that 
a lot from men mm-hmm. and men who are very successful financially mm-hmm. and just like, but I, I can't seem to maintain a relationship. I just can't seem to. And I think if you, if you can't maintain a relationship, it doesn't matter how much money you have. And I think yeah. that's the other thing that, that as men, we look at, like if someone's very successful and they have all these cars and these houses and stuff, they're going to be happy. And, and I think most people aren't. You know, I used to have a mm. joke on stage about, about uh, you know, if you're poor and depressed, okay, because, you know, that's fair. But if you're rich and depressed, you're screwed <laughs> because there is no way out of that. Like you can keep yeah. buying, trying to buy yourself out, but you're not going to. So it's really having the courage to say to yourself, I need to do something differently. Yeah, this is exactly, you know. I know people are sick and tired of feeling that disconnection with themselves, wondering if they should stay or go, having tried kind of cognitive therapies and talking to someone, counselor or therapist is super duper helpful, but it doesn't, if we're not really delving deep into our vulnerability and then really seeing, you know, uh, uh, this as a collective issue, we're, we're living in toxic shame. And so there is a path forward if you're, you know, people ready to kind of resolve toxic shame and, and not live by it and keep wearing a mask. That's exactly why, um, I'm, that's exactly why I teach what I teach now. It's because I really want to let people know that they're not alone in it and there is a way out and you've been a huge, um, and you've been through a lot. You know, you've been through a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, so it's like, you know, who do you want guiding you? Like someone mm-hmm. who has read a thousand books on a topic or someone who's actually been in the shit and has found their way out and is and is willing to help other people. Like I would I would rather have somebody who has been in the shit and they know what it's like to be at the deepest, darkest place and to find their way out and to help other people. Those are the people that I really want to like, I really want to follow someone who's, who's had like for me, just, just to put it on, like I had crippling anxiety for 30, 40 years. And that's why I wrote a book on anxiety. Cause I've been there. I'm not just writing it from this, this place of, um, academia or, or neuroscience. Like I lived it. So you want someone who's lived it to be able mm. to, to help you out, to help you yeah. guide, guide your way out. The you work lives in my bones. It does. It does. And yeah. I think that's, that has the most resonance to it. So, mm. so thanks for having me as a guest. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to come back anytime. Absolutely, brother. For those of you that are ready to um, break that cycle and really delve deeper into this topic, I'm doing a workshop Friday the 16th, and I'll be covering uh, where trauma bonds come from. We've kind of skimmed the surface right now, Russ and I, but we're actually going a lot deeper into the origins and how to recognize, is it love or is it trauma bond? And then I go into some case studies of people who've gone from trauma bond to secure love when they didn't really know what it was. And some uh, kind of practical somatic exercises and some Q&A over the topic so that you have a path moving forward to go from this push-pull dynamic to feeling safe in your body and safe with another person. So the link is below and um, I really look forward to seeing you there. Russ, thank you so much and I'll see you on a future episode. And I'm going to have you back. We'll see you at the next perfect time. Bingo.